How you guys doing? Good, good. I'm looking for, I'm short, so I'm going to get a tall stool. Is that okay? Can I sit today? I've never done this before. Jeffrey used to do it, so it, it can't be a sin, at least. Oh, <laughs> uh, but look at that, of course. Um, well, good morning. Welcome to Sunday, and uh, we're glad you're here. I have just a couple of um, housekeeping items to take care of, so um, I just want to tell you what's going on in the life of our church over the next couple of weeks. Uh, first off, we are in the season of Lent, and we've started the journey, uh, began Ash Wednesday, and it is continuing all the way up to Easter, and as a way for us to, as a community, um, observe Lent, we've started these Lenten activity texts, and if you would like to be part of that, all you need to do, um, do we have that up there? Pop it up. All we have to do is take out your phone, text 23559, and then just text the at sign, HFC Lent, HF Clint. And uh, basically what will happen is every morning around 9 o'clock, we'll give you a suggestion, something to maybe take away, like maybe today don't listen to music in your car. Instead, spend that time praying. Or maybe we'll have you add something like, write a letter to someone that means something to you and, and let them know why they're so special to you. Just a short activity that you can use um, to help keep your mind constantly on this journey that we're taking to the cross and then to Easter Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. So if you want to, go ahead and uh, 23559, HFC Lent. And then while you have your phones out, go ahead and silence them, please. Um, uh, coming up April 16th, another thing that we're doing, uh, Pastor Matt is going to be taking us through a Seder meal on the Wednesday of Holy Week, and uh, it's going to be amazing. If you've never been to a Seder, you need to come to this one. Um, every herb that is used, every piece of meat, every um, action is just dripping with symbolism and significance, and you won't want to miss being there. If you want to be there, we need to know how to plan, so go ahead and email office at hfcnas.org um, and uh, let us know you'll be there, and we will have a spot for you. Um, and then that Saturday, um, we are having Explosion. Woohoo! Awesome. So I will be having Explosion. <laughs> We had huge success last fall when we went to the gazebo at Willow Lake. Um, uh, we had hundreds more than we anticipated. Last year, we packed out the sanctuary and had a great time um, with flashlights and a nighttime egg hunt. Uh, but with the success that we had at the, at the gazebo, we just really felt like it's time to start thinking more outwardly. And so we're going to be doing our explosion event at the gazebo. It will be from 5 to 7, and incorporated in that will be um, fun times, festival-type feeling. We'll have blow-ups. We'll have games. We'll have a service that's family-friendly, focused on live, upbeat music, celebrating that he is risen. Um, but with this huge task means we're going to need a lot of help. Um, I'm guesstimating we're going to need about 100 volunteers um, just doing various things. So I don't want you to pray, God, do you want me to be involved? I want you to begin praying, God, how do you want me to be involved? Because this cannot happen 
through the children's ministry. It has to be a church event where we are going to the community. Uh, so pray about that and then email me and let me know that you will be helping and I will thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, then Easter service, we're going to do what we normally do, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock services, two services with the gathering point in between at 10.15. We'll have food out there so that the people that are leaving the service and the people that are coming to the service can overlap and we can see everyone and celebrate that he is risen together. Um, I challenge you to worship in one and serve in the other, if at all possible. Um, this is another one of those, those days where we're going to need a lot of help because we are just believing that God is going to do amazing things on Easter and we are going to need your help. So uh, plan to be part of one of the services, worshiping, and plan to help out in the other one, and it's going to be good times. So we are starting a new series. Yeah. Wow, we just finished happiness. <laughs> we may need to extend it one more week. Uh, we're starting a new series. Yeah. As uh, Pastor Matt and Pastor Michelle and I were praying, we felt like one of the most meaningful things we could do during this season is focus on those few hours right before Jesus was to be, be betrayed and led away and crucified. And so um, we're going to be doing what's called the upper room. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. These are passages that we've heard. We've heard about I am the vine, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We've heard about the, the washing of the feet. We've heard, you're going to have troubles because I've had troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We've heard about, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And yet, it's very easy to make this very fragmented and see these as separate messages, when really, this is one uniform message that Jesus was giving to his closest friends hours before he was to be taken away. And so this is kind of, um, Jesus is, um, a lot of people say it's, it's his farewell address, although we know that technically it's not because most people that have a farewell address, they die and they never know if what they said made an impact. And Jesus is not dead, he's alive. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, what he has said is taking place in our church and in churches around the world. And so it's not really a farewell address, but we're going to take some time over the next few weeks, and we're going to talk about John. You'll see John is broken up into two main sections. The first 12 chapters, Jesus is interacting with the people. He's talking with the crowd. He's, he's healing them. He's meeting with them. He's eating with them. He's reaching out to them. And then in John 13, he takes them into the upper room, and the focus changes. It's a very intimate setting. It's a time where he is with those that he has spent three and a half years with, and he just wants to tell them how much he loves them, how much he cares about them. And it's a very intimate setting. It's just Jesus and his disciples. And we're going to start there. Um, the scene opens up with a setting that I would call, um, well, if I were there, and I think Noah does this as well, when, when something happens and you just kind of go, awkward. Um, there, there's a very weird way that, that this chapter 13 opens up. And as I was reading it this week, 
one TV show, a certain clip came to mind, and I just kept thinking, this is that kind of awkwardness. This is that kind of weirdness that chapter 13 is talking about. So I want to show you a clip. It's from Everybody Loves Raymond, and uh, I think you'll understand hey, turn the awkwardness the TV on. at. Actually, I'm leaving to cover the Mets road trip. So turn it on and go. <laughs> you got any of that cheese left? Uh, just the Roquefort, which you're more than welcome to. It really stinks bad. I'll eat it fast. Hey, guys, come on. It's time for bed. Let's go. Great, it's getting late. Shouldn't you pack? Yeah, yeah. Watch it, boys. Watch the suitcase. <laughs> That suitcase has been sitting there for three weeks, and nobody wants to be the one to move it. I got you. But the thing is, I got to pack now, so I'm going to be the one who has to move the suitcase. Why don't you take another suitcase? No. Can't leave that one sitting there. It'll be too obvious that I did it on purpose. Well, that's good. Deb should know how you feel. I'm a great believer in letting people know what's going on in here. Yeah, and, and every other part of your body. <laughs> you know, I don't want to get in a fight over a suitcase right before I have to go. I'll just do it. Hey, listen to me. This is not about a suitcase. This is about who wears the pants in the family. <laughs> now, whose idea was to bring it in the first place? Hers, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then I was stuck lugging it around all weekend. If you move that suitcase, you might as well put on a dress and change your name to Daisy Mae Tinklepants. Ray, you gotta leave soon. Are you gonna get ready? Yes. <laughs> yes, I am. about it's all right Deb you don't need to pretend with me I know all about the suitcase okay. what do you mean ah forget about it hey looks like Ray forgot to take the suitcase with him you ought to bring it up <laughs> he had three weeks I thought he was just clueless, but if he talked to you about it, he knew what he was doing. Well, aren't you doing the same thing? No, this is completely different. I have to do everything around this house. If I don't do it, it doesn't get done. Well, that's because... Now, take it easy. That's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> that's how it's supposed to be? I said, take it easy. <laughs> now look, Ray lugged the suitcase around all weekend, but it's in the house now, all full of laundry, and it's all woman-y now. <laughs> so, you should move it. That's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> okay, now let me tell you something. <laughs> 
I'm the one that has to do the laundry. Why should I be the one to drag that thing upstairs, huh? Isn't the man supposed to carry stuff? Isn't that the manly thing to do, huh? Isn't that how that's supposed to be? Obviously, you spent a lot more time thinking about this than I have. because it's exaggerated, um, and yet I find myself uh, too many times in a similar situation, maybe not that extreme, uh, but it all comes down to this issue of service and servanthood. And if I am honest with you, you know, you could say, would you rather serve or be served? And I could give you the Christian answer, um, but in my heart, um, my human nature says I would much rather be served than serve. Um, that's why I love Disney so much. They know customer service. They understand how to make you feel like you're special. Um, you know, and there are even times when, you know, I'm coming home from work and it's late and Jen's been stuck in traffic and we look at each other and we say, I'm too tired to cook. I just want to go somewhere and have someone serve me. I just want to go to a restaurant and have someone wait on me. Have you ever been there? Service is, is a tough thing. And this is the scene that is opened up to us in John chapter 13. This is a passage, this, this is a part of the story that is only told in John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't discuss this part of the story. This washing of the feet is only told through the eyes of John. And here's the situation. To understand what's going on, um, it's good to go and look at Luke chapter 22, and this will give you, maybe, maybe it'll help us understand what's going on that's leading up to this point. Luke 22, um, Jesus says, there's someone at the table that's about to betray me. And the Bible says the disciples look at each other and they start to wonder who it would be. And the Bible goes on to say, and then the disciples started to argue over who would be the greatest. Jesus has just told them, one of you 12 is going to betray me and in a matter of seconds, they've missed it. And all of a sudden, it's more about, am I going to be the greatest? I'm, I'm jockeying for a position. How am I doing? Am I doing better than the other ones? And they completely missed the point that Jesus said, I'm about to be betrayed because they're too worried about, where am I in the social ladder? And then we come to John 13. Let me read it for you. 
Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He now showed the disciples the full extent of his love. It was time for supper, and the devil had already enticed Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to carry out his plan to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had around him. And when he came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, why are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now why I'm doing it, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, but if I don't wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who's been bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you are clean, but that isn't true with everyone here. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because it's true. And since I am, since I the Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet. You ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. How true it is that a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger more important than the one who sends them. But you know these things. Now do them. That's the path of blessing. So John paints this picture, only found in John, and ironically enough, John is also the only one of the Gospels that does not reference the bread and the cup as Jesus is breaking them and saying, this is my body and blood broken and shed for you. It's almost as if John is saying, the other disciples told you what Jesus did. Now I want to tell you what Jesus meant by what he said. So we have this scene. We have this upper room. Now, what would have happened normally is there would have been a servant and they would have washed the feet. Now, now washing the feet was a humiliating job. Um, in fact, it was reserved for slaves, and it was even below a Jewish slave to wash feet unless they were the only ones available. This was a Gentile slave type thing, the lowest of the low. And that would happen when you walked in, and yet we find that they are in the middle of a meal and nobody has had their feet washed yet. Now, slaves would have done that. But there are a couple of other exceptions of people who might have washed someone's feet. You would have parents 
who would wash their children's feet because they're family. You would have wives who might wash their husband's feet because they are married to them. You would have, um, Farid, I saw you glancing over to Theresa. No, that's not the point. Not the point at all. You, you would have students who might wash the feet of their rabbi or teacher out of respect, but, but these were about the only exceptions. And John takes his time, and for 11 verses, he just slowly unpacks. Jesus took off his outer garment. He got the basin. He got the pitcher. And so far, John hasn't talked about any dialogue. It's as if the action is the point more than anything that's said. And Jesus takes the water and he pours it in. It's almost as if John is telling it in real time. He gives details and, and just takes his time. Then he went around to his disciples' feet. They would typically be reclining with their feet away from the table. And Jesus begins to wash their feet. And not a word is said. I, I would imagine if I were in the room, I would have been so stunned, I wouldn't have known what to say. I would have just been in shock. And so Jesus silently proceeds to do this trivial, well below him task of serving his disciples. And not a word is said until Peter. I love this guy. He, um, he is 100% full throttle. Um, he, he reminds me a lot of the, the dog in Up. Is it Doug? Where he's like, my name is Doug. I'm very squirrel. And, you know, Peter is like, the Bible says one verse, he's like, you're the son of God, the Messiah. And then the next verse, Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. That's, that's not my plan. I would never deny you, Lord. And then by the time the cock crows three times, Jesus, I'm willing to die for you. And then he's pulling out his sword against a small army coming to get Jesus in the garden. He's just, he's all over the place. He's all or nothing. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, you wash my feet? I don't think so. That's not going to happen. And Jesus says, you don't understand, Peter. If I don't wash your feet, you don't have any place with me. And Peter, again, not getting it, is looking at the physical. Oh, well, then I need to be clean. And Jesus is talking about something completely different. We have these two worlds going on. Peter is thinking physical. Jesus is talking spiritual. When Jesus is saying, if you're not clean, you're not with me, he's not talking about Peter's feet. He's talking about, he, he's foreshadowing what's going to happen this humiliation, 
This washing of the feet is a foreshadowing of the humiliation that I'm about to endure on the cross. This washing of the feet, this cleansing and cleaning of your feet is a foreshadowing of what is going to happen, the redemptive work on the cross. I'm going to wash you and make you clean if you will be part of me, if you will join me. And Jesus is clearly saying, if you want to be with me, your job is to emulate me. If you want to be in my family, because family would wash family's feet, I invite you. But it starts with a basin and a pitcher. That's the road into my family. That's the road into my father's kingdom. It starts with service. You want to be joint heirs with me, like, like Paul talks about? That's great. Pick up the towel. Pick up the basin. Because our family serves. The kingdom of God is about serving. And here we have Jesus totally reversing the social order and it's like he's saying, this is what the world says is greatness. This is what I'm saying is greatness. He totally flips things over and he says, I want you with me. I want you in the family. But if it's going to happen, you've got to understand that I was sent by my father to serve you but I'm handing off the baton. My mission is gonna be performed through you. Your job is to now go through my power and serve others. That's the deal. If you wanna be in the kingdom of God, it starts with service. I love... Um, Let me find it. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because it's true. And since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I am, I'm one of those geeks that likes to Google stuff. <laughs> and so I was like, ought to, you ought to. I'm going to just Google that and see what I come up with. Ought to is a moral obligation verb. I had never heard of that before. But ought to is a moral obligation verb. Basically, it's saying you know there is something that you should do. It's not an issue of is it right or is it wrong. It's an issue of are you going to do it. There is a moral obligation. And Jesus is saying, since I have done this for you, since I am heading to the cross and I'm about to do this for you, since I have given you this physical visual about what is happening in the spiritual, you ought to do the same. I'm, I'm telling you how it is. You ought to join me. And it's not a, you ought to serve one another and wash their feet and you're done. It's not a one and done. It's, 
your job, if you want to be in my kingdom, is to serve others now. And now. And now. And now. Your life is to be about serving others. I'm about to pour out my life for the world. And if you want to emulate what I'm going to do, you have to be willing to live your life in service now. And now. And now. And then he finishes in verse 17 by saying, if you do these things, you will be happy, you'll be blessed. Now, it doesn't mean that things are going to be honky-dory-dory and I'm going to get the new job promotion and all this kind of stuff. No, what he's saying is, you will have favor with God. You will be blessed if you do these things. I'm going to throw a curveball at you, Danny. Can you pull up the bridge for the song Hosanna? We were singing that song, and to be honest, David and I talked about it because of um, the Freedom Sunday and how God opened up our eyes, help us to see those things you know, these atrocities going on in the world. But honestly, as we sang those, I was like, this is John 13. Heal my heart. Make it clean, just like you took your disciples' feet and washed them. Just like you would, in a few short hours, die on the cross and provide the cleansing for our sins. Make us clean. Open up our eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Since I've done this for you, you ought also to do this for others. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. Jesus is opening up this final discourse by saying, you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? The kingdom of God is like this. You get down and you serve and your heart is broken for the things that breaks the Father's heart. And you have this compelling love like the Father has. And you are willing to be vulnerable for people because that's, that's what I did. It reminds me a lot of Philippians 2. Paul said it so well. Um, let me just read. It, it, he, he's summarizing, basically, what's happening. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together with the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make good impressions on others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they're doing. Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had, though he was God. He didn't demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. And he took on this humble position of a slave, appearing in human form. And in the human form, he obediently humbled himself 
even further by dying, by dying a criminal's death on the cross. And because of this, God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Here's what I want you to do. The band's going to come up. We don't do this very often, but I want you to take out your bulletin, and you're going to see an action point. Simply says this. What needs to change in my life? whether it's my mind, my heart, my emotions, my attitudes, what needs to change in my life in order for me to say, I'm ready, Lord, where's the basin? I want you to take just a couple minutes. David's going to play on the guitar. I want you to not just write something, the first thing you think of. I want you to pray about it and say, God, what needs to change in my life? If I truly want this life that you're offering me, because the reward is, it far outweighs the sacrifice. But what in my life has to change in order for me to say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready for the basin. I'm ready for the towel. I'm ready for the pitcher. I'm going to give you about 90 seconds while David's playing um, to think and pray about that. And then I just want you to write something down. It could just be a word. It could be a sentence. But this week, I want you to put your bulletin in a place where you can look at that word or sentence and say, am I doing this today, God? I want this right now. So I'm going to give you just a minute to think and pray and write. God, as we begin this Lenten season, we focus toward um, heading to the cross. Um, thank you, God, that you remind us that you are victorious over the grave. And so even though we take time to deliberately slow down and take inventory of our lives and say, God, what do you want to do in me during this season so that I am more ready to receive the joy of the resurrection? Um, God, I thank you that you did raise Christ Jesus from the dead. I thank you that he's seated at your right hand. I thank you that your spirit is here with us and is it alive and at work in our hearts and in our midst. Um, you have kept your promise. You keep your promises. I thank you that your kingdom is indeed coming. Your kingdom is here. Amen. Would you do me a favor? Stand up. The beauty of this passage is that we understand that we are called into this kingdom of God. This kingdom of God that will 
ultimately invade every part, but it has already begun invading. We are living in the kingdom of God here and now. There is a kingdom that is here. And so our response should be to celebrate the fact that Christ is here and his kingdom is at work in our midst. I encourage you today, how can you pick up that basin? Maybe the first, the first and best place to start is by celebrating the fact that his kingdom is here and we are called to join into it. So join in as the band sings, there is a kingdom.